There's something uh, really pleasing about being first place in some kind of contest. Uh, it's something that I haven't actually experienced a whole lot, especially when it comes to sports. When I think about my my time in high school, uh, there wasn't a whole lot that I did great on. I was a very scrawny kid, okay? I was very skinny and uh, was not very athletic. And so usually I came near the bottom in just about everything that we were doing. But I remember in gym class once, we were going through and we were doing a whole bunch of different exercises and then they were timing us and they were ranking us and so that we knew uh, who in the class was best at this or that or whatever exercise. And so I'm like near the bottom for all of them. And then we get to the flexed arm hang. And I was nervous about it because I did not have much in terms of uh, the arm muscles. They just were not developed at all. And I thought, oh my goodness. Uh, some of these really big guys are getting up there and they're uh, up there for like uh, five seconds and, and, uh, and they're dropping. So I'm like, how am I going to do this? So I was really nervous. Anyways, I, I grabbed a hold of the bar, pulled myself up and held on. And I realized, wait a minute, this is easy. Finally, my scrawniness is coming in handy because I have no weight. I might not have any muscles, but I don't have any weight that I need uh, big muscles to hold on to anyway. So I'm just like holding on there uh, and, uh, and people are like, how is he doing that? And, uh, and so I, I kept going and I, I waited until I, I beat uh, the, the highest uh, time by about a minute or something like that. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm kind of bored now, so I'm just going to, to drop down. Now, if it sounds like I got a little bit of pride there, uh, just so you know, down in my office, you'll see my Master of Divinity degree, you'll see my Certificate of Ordination, and then you'll see a little note, uh, Grade 11, Best in Flexed Arm Hang. Well, maybe maybe not physically, but in my mind, that, that's that's where it's at. Now, uh, what about the Apostles? When, you, when we look at the Apostles, the 12 Apostles, who would we give first place to? Well, there's a whole bunch of them, right? Right. There's 12 of them. Uh, Probably Judas is not going to be number one. I think we can just say that's not going to happen. Uh, So we have 11 yet to choose from. Now, it seems like Jesus had his own pick of of who was best because we see that there was an inner group of three, uh, Peter, James, and John. And I always wondered uh, how Andrew felt about that, right? Because they were uh, two pairs of brothers. Uh, James and John were brothers, and then there was Peter and Andrew who were brothers. But Andrew was left out of this inner three, and I have no idea why. That's something that I would love to know. But these three... uh, uh, came with Jesus on certain things. These are the three that came up on the Mount of Transfiguration. These are the three that went closer into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus during his prayer. And we, we see that Jesus would spend more time with these three. So they, these seem to be the top three. And of those three, it looks like top place would go to Peter. Now, of course, Peter made some mistakes. We, when we read through the Gospels, we see him uh, saying things and doing things he just really shouldn't. But still, he seems to get first place. Uh, we, we can see that throughout the scriptures. In fact, uh, Peter is not even his real name. His real name is Simon, but he's renamed Peter, which means rock, uh, because he is the first human to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And when he confesses uh, Jesus as being uh, the Christ, the Son of God, uh, Jesus says to him, uh, you are now Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. So uh, there was something special that was going on there. It was Peter who preached the Pentecost sermon at the birthday of the church. 
And from that, uh, we see that 3,000 people believed and were baptized. I, I tell you, any preacher would love to have one sermon which would result in 3,000 baptisms. That's pretty amazing. That's uh, incredible. It was also Peter that God chose to be the one through which the church would spread from Jewish believers to the Gentile or the non-Jewish believers. So uh, God sent Peter to Cornelius who preached the gospel and Cornelius became the first Gentile to become a follower of Jesus. So we can see definitely that Peter is at the top. But like I said, he's not perfect. And sometimes he said the wrong thing, but other times he fell horribly. And the passage we're looking at is an example of one of the worst experiences that Peter had. So we're going to take a look at what was actually happening in this story. So at this point in the story, uh, Judas has just betrayed Jesus. Uh, Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken away. He is going to be put on trial. And so, of course, the disciples are scared. They don't know what's going to happen here. But Peter, he has a close relationship with Jesus. And he's actually feeling torn because in one way, he is scared. He, he is an associate of Jesus. And if Jesus is arrested and is seen as someone who is a danger, a danger to the religious leaders, or, or worse, a danger to the Romans, then his, his followers could be next. So he's scared about that. But he's also very close to Jesus, so he doesn't want to abandon him. He wants to be with him. So he's following the, the, the crowd as they take Jesus, but he's following from a distance. He doesn't want to get too close. He wants to know what's happening, but he doesn't want to get arrested himself. So this is all happening in the middle of the night, uh, and things get cold. You might think that the Middle East is, is always hot. It's not. In fact, even during the day, Israel can be quite cold, but uh, certainly at night, it was very cold. And so as Peter is waiting, trying to figure out what's going on, he gathers around uh, a fire where there's a, a number of other people. And there's this servant girl who recognizes Peter as one of the people that were with Jesus. Uh, they have been in Jerusalem now for a week. Uh, it was uh, a big event when they entered into Jerusalem. Uh, they've been seen together. And so the servant girl recognizes him and says, You're, you have been with Jesus and Peter, just imagine this. Peter, he is a fisherman, so he's probably really big. He's, he's developed all kinds of muscles from pulling that heavy net. And, uh, and there's this servant girl who's accusing him of something, and Peter gets scared. He's afraid. He's afraid that he's going to be caught up in this, that uh, guards are going to come and grab him and arrest him, and that he's going to be in trouble. And so he denies knowing Jesus. Now, if this only happened once, I think that we can... Uh, we would have some grace towards this, you know, like sometimes when we're put on the spot just in the moment, uh, we panic and we say something that maybe we didn't really mean. And so we could, we could forgive him for that. And yet we see that soon after another person comes and says, uh, you were with Jesus. And we see that Peter denies him again. Not only does he not deny him a second time, but as you go through the scriptures, in this particular passage, you see that, that Peter uh, is emphasizing his denial more and more. Uh, if you could add exclamation marks with each denial, there's more exclamation marks that are being added to it. And so a third time, uh, someone says, hey, wait, uh, you're a Galilean. He's a Galilean. You two were together, weren't you? Man, I don't know what you're talking about. I do not know this man. I am not the person that you think 
that I am. And, and Peter remembers that Jesus had actually predicted that all of this would happen. So the rooster crows, and that's when he remembers. Jesus said that you would deny me three times before the rooster crows. And to make things worse, at that moment, they seem to be pulling Jesus out from wherever he had been, and their, and their eyes connect. That at, just as Peter has denied for the third time, uh, Jesus looks at him. And the, the uh, implication here in the passage is that Jesus knows he has been denied. And there's that look of disappointment. Can you imagine that? Like that is, when I think of different stories and events in the Bible, uh, that is one that I definitely would not want to be uh, Peter. I would not want to, to have to look at Jesus' face just after having denied him. Now, we can ask, why? Why did Peter do this? Well, I don't think there was any malice here. I don't think that... that um, Peter was deep down ashamed of Jesus or embarrassed that he knew him or anything like that. Uh, He didn't want to see anything bad happen to Jesus. So I don't think that that's what's going on at all. I think it simply comes down to self-preservation. He was scared for his life, and he didn't know what else to do, and so he denied. And before we get uh, too uh, quick to really condemn him and to think that he's this terrible person, imagine that a gunman came into this room right now and said, uh, everyone here who is willing to deny Jesus right now, you are free to leave the building and to walk out. The rest of you, I'm going to shoot one by one. Now think about that. I, I, I would want to hope that I would be able to stand firm in my faith in Jesus, even in the face of death. But what if my children were here? how could I respond in that way? If we are in that moment, we don't know what we would do. It is something that is very hard for us to to imagine. But that's what happened to Peter. Now, we've seen previously that Judas betrayed Jesus, and now we have Peter denying Jesus. What is the difference between these two apostles? The difference is they both seem to have some kind of regret that they, that they did this to Jesus. But Judas, his regret leads just into pure despair and he completely gives up. Peter, he definitely regrets it. But we see that eventually he reconciles with Jesus and he gets used by Jesus in a powerful way. In fact, he becomes a better man because of what has taken place. We eventually find out from church tradition that uh, Peter follows Jesus to the cross, that he himself is crucified, and tradition suggests that Peter was crucified upside down. So eventually he was able to get to the point where he needed to be. Now, uh, there have been Christians, not just Peter, but Christians all over who have been put in the place where they have to make that decision. Are they going to deny Jesus uh, uh, for their own safety? Or are they going to affirm their faith? Are they going to stand up for Jesus knowing that that could mean their death? We've seen that through church history from generation to generation. And even right now, across the globe, there are people who are put in these kinds of situations. Here in the West, it costs us very little for us to be a Christian. Yeah, you know, some people might make fun of us. Maybe some people give us a funny look when we're praying, uh, we're saying grace uh, before a meal in a restaurant. But in general, uh, we are not fearing that someone is going to kill us 
for following Jesus. But that's not to say that this passage is irrelevant. It actually is very applicable to us. There are a couple of ways in which we can deny Jesus today in our own context. The the first way is to have active denial. And what I mean by active denial is uh, we're in some kind of situation where someone asks us a question and maybe we feel embarrassed. We don't want people to know uh, that what we're doing. And so we, we say something else. So someone might ask you, what, what are you doing on a Sunday morning? I see you leave each Sunday morning. Oh, um, I'm going to a, a hockey game. That's right. I'm going to a hockey game. Because you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell someone that you're going to church. Um, and this kind of thing can happen all the time. I remember early on in my Christian walk, after I had come to a, uh, I returned to a personal faith in Jesus, and I had just given up drinking at that point, and I remember being at a party, and uh, they were offering people the drinks, and someone uh, who I didn't know uh, offered me a drink, and I said, no, I, I didn't want one. Uh, so that, that, that was good. And, and then they asked why. I was hoping that they would just say, no, okay, no problem. But they asked why. Why don't you want to drink at this party? And what I knew in my head I should have said is that, uh, you know, I've, I've become a Christian and this is not something I want to be a part of my life right now. So that's why. But that's not what I did. I was embarrassed. I didn't want to be known as the Jesus guy. And so I said, uh, it's for health reasons. I, I need it for, he- I can't be drinking alcohol for, for health reasons. And they're like, oh, okay, no problem. But I didn't have any health reasons. It was a complete lie. I just didn't want to tell them that I was a Christian. And I really regretted that, and I continued to regret that decision. But when you're in that moment, it is so easy for us to do that. But most often, we won't be in a place where we are doing active denial most often, we will be doing what I call passive denial. And this is not when someone is confronting you about your faith, but you have an opportunity to uh, make it real that you are a follower of Jesus and you hold off. So uh, an example might be um, someone, you're, you're in a, a group with some people and they're saying, uh, all Christians are hypocrites. Every single one of them are, are hypocrites. And you can say something and say, well, actually, no, I, I, uh, I'm a Christian and I know many Christians who are, uh, who are very sincere in their faith and, and what you're saying is not true. We could say that or we could just keep our mouth shut. And by keeping our mouth shut in that kind of moment is passive denial. Uh, so we are not taking advantage of the opportunity that we have. Or if they say, someone says, uh, all churches are, are money-grubbing, uh, looking just to, to, to grab as much money from poor people as possible uh, so that they can get as rich as possible. And uh, you could say, well, no, actually, uh, churches uh, spend a lot of their resources to helping people in different ways, helping newcomers to Canada, helping poor, uh, uh, feeding the hungry, uh, providing places for people to, to sleep. You could say that, or you could keep your mouth shut. And keeping your mouth shut in that moment is, is passive denial. Now, I'm not saying that you have to, every time you see someone, that you have to shove religion down their throat. You don't have to jump on top of them and start hitting them in the head with the Bible. You don't have to do that. I'm not saying that. Nor am I saying you have to seek out every atheist that you meet and get into a debate with them. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, when the opportunity is there, that you could simply uh, express that you are a Christian 
And this, the statement that they're saying is, is not as clear-cut as they are affirming. When we do that, we are not taking advantage of those opportunities that God has given us, and we need to do it. It's, it's not about uh, fighting every single battle that comes our way, but it's about seeing it as an opportunity to light one candle in a dark room. And if all of us do that, that can make a difference. I've already said that I've made mistakes in my own life. I know that I have. I have not spoken up when I could have. I have said the wrong thing when the opportunity came. Perhaps you've experienced that kind of thing as well. Maybe you can think of a a time in which you have denied Jesus in your own way. Maybe not the way Peter did it. Maybe not the way I did it. But maybe you have done it in your own way. Well, the thing is, we go back to the story and we realize that Peter did not give up. He didn't say, well, there it is. I've denied him three times before the rooster crowed. I guess I am a failure, and I'm going to just give up on this following Jesus thing. He didn't do that. He continued on, and Jesus used him in a powerful way. God is the God of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, and fifth chances. That's something that we hold on to. That's why we focus on grace. All we can do if we fail, if we fall, is determined to get up and to stand up, to stand up for Jesus. Let us pray. God, we often look up to Peter at all of the accomplishments that he did, and yet we look in the story about a time when he fell terribly. When we look at this Lord, we don't want to condemn him, but rather to see in him our own weaknesses, our own failures, and to be inspired by the fact that he did not give up, that he continued to serve you and to do your work, even if he was imperfect. God, be with us. Give us the strength, the courage to stand up for Jesus, to speak the truth when confronted. We pray these things in your name. Amen.